This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, it's Jim here from The Blank Podcast. Um, just letting you know, for the next few weeks we're releasing some classic episodes um, ahead of us returning with some more newer, recent episodes. Um, what we're doing is we're using these few weeks off to record as many as possible so we can get ahead of ourselves and then come back at the end of May with a bang um, and release more new episodes. So we've handpicked a couple of our favourite episodes from the archives and we hope you enjoy them. Obviously if you're new to Blank then you may not have heard these episodes before so do go back and listen to more from the back catalogue and tweet us of course or Instagram us at BlankPod. Let us know if you've enjoyed this classic episode or any more from the archives that you've enjoyed. Um, So that's it. We'll see you in a few weeks for some new episodes but until then enjoy these retro classic episodes on the Blank Podcast. Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. I am Jim Daly, and joining me as ever is the man, the legend, Charles <laughs> Bailey Phillips. Don't... Um, you are both those things. No, I, I disagree. But thank you. Well, I, I disagree with you disagreeing. <laughs> well, I disagree with you <laughs> Well, this could go on for a while. <laughs> How you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Spring is nearly here. Yeah. Yeah, it's starting to get a bit, turning. Yeah, it's starting to get a bit warmer. Isn't it's it? nice. I'm yeah. feeling happier. Do, do you feel happier when when the weather turns and the sun comes out more? I quite like. Um, I like all the seasons really. I think it's one of those things where you get to the end of one season, you want it to change to the next one. Don't yeah. You? Like, so I don't mind the beginning of winter. It's like quite nice, and then you get to the end, and you're like, oh, I just want it to be a I bit. Feel, I feel like I have more tolerance for spring and summer than okay, I do okay, winter. Okay, like, well, winter. Enough. When it's snowing, I'm like, oh, that's pretty. But then yeah. a few hours later, I'm like, oh, it's actually quite cold. Yeah, I quite like the autumn. It's quite melancholy. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So I don't have a disposition for one particular season. I'm, I'm spring and summer all the way. Okay. Yeah, big time. Um, anyway, uh, we've got, well, we've got a very interesting guest. This kind of an exclusive, really, because this, this guest doesn't do a lot of British podcasts. No. I'm not sure if he's done any, but I don't want to say that. And he has done like <laughs> he may loads. Have done. But... Uh, he, I've heard him on loads of American podcasts. He's yeah. been on some of the big ones yeah. over there. And um, I'm, a, I mean, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, uh, It is. David Harbour. David Harbour. The David yeah, Harbour. Absolutely. A.K.A. Detective Harbour from Stranger Things. Oh, 
Sheriff Hopper, I think. Did I get the title wrong? <laughs> Policeman Hopper. Jim Hopper. I know it's Jim, Jim Hopper. Hopper. So, so yeah. Um, and uh, the new Hellboy as well. So, yes. you know, and do you know what? What a that guy. Guy. Well, just a real, pr- just amazing to be able to to chat with David. I mean, we tried really hard to uh, meet up with David. He was over in the UK just before Christmas. Uh, it didn't quite kind of come about. He he was a bit too. He was sort of in and in and out of the country very quickly. He was just doing some um, some reshoots for Hellboy, so he wasn't here for very long, unfortunately. So we didn't get a chance to meet up with him then, but. He very kindly messaged and said he'd love to still talk to us. And yeah. So we've we've done it via Skype, which is our first Skype. Interview. We have. But I think it's fair to say it was a success. Yeah. No, it was really good. And, um, you know, we obviously it's always a bit trickier to do these things. So, like, you know, technically. Yeah. But um, we, we, we were pleased with it, how it's come out. And, and David was fantastic. What a guy. Such yeah. a nice guy. And, you know, you talk to some people. And they're even via Skype, and we had the little um, screen video so we could see each other happening. You can just you get a nice warm feeling from them. Yeah, and you got as soon as we started the call, you got that with David, and you knew it was going to be a great chat. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it was really honest, and he went to some really honest places as well. Yeah, he did, and he, he was very self-effacing and very true. And I really appreciated the way he um, he talked about um, his personal life with his yeah. with you know with he's had. Um, mental health issues and stuff and he's clearly writing a book about that, some of that stuff now which we talk about in the podcast but I just felt really real I know I, and I know I say this every time that it's a privilege and I say that every time that it's really how how lovely it is to do this but it, it does feel like a privilege and I don't want to sort of sugarcoat it too much but it, it, these people are giving up their time for us and um, mm. you know it really means a lot to be able to talk to these amazing people and connect with them and talk to them about their experiences. And, you know, I'm as much a listener as as you guys, really, with these podcasts. I sit here and I'm, you know, sometimes sort of pinching myself that Mm. I'm sitting talking to the likes of David Harbour, who, you know, I'm a huge fan of his work. So, yeah. Should we delve into it? I feel like we've, we've teased the listeners enough now. Let's yeah, sorry, I was put on a bit of a ramble there, but I. Just... But it's nice to hear you say that because it's all, it's all, it's all true. And yeah, yeah, uh... and we've, t- I'm Jim, and I talk about this stuff off air um, regularly about you know, it, it really is like a special thing to be able to do it. So yeah, yeah. so I, I totally agree. Uh, so this is the wonderful David Harbour on the Blank Podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, giving up some of your time today. I know it's a bit early. Uh, that's okay, no problem. What's what's the morning routine like for you? Um, I'm actually writing this book now, so I get up like very early, and I uh, and I go get a chai tea, and then I procrastinate and try not <laughs> to write for like three hours. So that's about <laughs> that's about it. And then I sort of do my day after that. You know, just mess around. What kind of book? Um, it's kind of uh, an experimental memoir, we could say. Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of got some fiction in it, and then it's got stuff related to like my uh, mental health stuff, and sort of related to mental health in general, in terms of like the way America deals with it, and yeah. um, different things like that. That's the experimental bit, is it? 
<laughs> Maybe, yeah, we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> it sounds good. Sounds fascinating. Um, yeah. Are we okay to get you to so your garage band? We were turn on your garage band and record yourself. Yeah. So I have uh, I have it open here. Where do I go to? It says right now I'm on like new project or something. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, exactly. New project. Um, okay. And then should it should. We go it voice should uh, well, it should be your built-in microphone, I think recording so then if you just hit record it should in theory record your voice that, that's a very basic my basic understanding of it let's see um create record using microphone input one um create let's see uh it looks like it's definitely registering my voice oh excellent yeah it, excellent. oh and now i hit the record button yeah i'm gonna hit the record button there you go. Thank hey. you. Oh, it's like it's like doing that metronome in my head. Oh, I can turn that off, right? You can yeah, turn that God. off. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Did it have a little click? Was that? <laughs> yeah, the little tick. Yeah, yeah, it was like a metronome. Oh man, you, <laughs> you'd be going nuts by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's turned around to us. Oh, there you go. Blimey. I did, did like a share screen thing. I yeah, think. share screen. There we go. Cool. Okay. So chai tea, is that the, the drink of choice at this time of the day? Yeah, exactly. It's my new thing. I got off coffee like about a month ago and doing like these milky, you know, chai tea is actually, a, it's like saying ATM machine. You know, chai just means tea. In India, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's TT. So tea. It's, it's chai masala. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do this chai masala now. Uh, are you Are you feeling the benefits of uh, of switching from coffee? I think I am. Yeah, I feel a lot less jittery through the day. I mean, I was a pretty horrible coffee addict for yeah. a long time. Like, you know, like eight or nine cups a day. So wow. this is a wow. very healthy change. Yeah, it was. It was bad. It was just like nicotine and caffeine all day long. So oh, this is a, it's a very new good thing. For I me. had a friend who used to drink this. I don't know if you have it in the States, but it's called Rocket Fuel. Have you heard of that? What is it a brand of coffee? or is Well, it like yeah, a, it is. A, a, it's got guana in it. Oh, okay. But it's like, mm -hmm. it's like double. He was a chef, okay? So he was terribly oh, bad yeah, social. Those guys are crazy. They're, they're, they're <laughs> mental. Yeah, mental. Yeah, they uh, really are. <laughs> and then you'd have this Rocket Fuel. Um, like he'd have like a double sort of espresso of rocket, rocket fuel, they called it. And man, oh. he was just palpitations. Yeah. I mean, I had palpitations watching him drink it. <laughs> but I mean, this is like really, and he did this for quite a few years. And he, I saw him recently and he looks, he looks bad. Like it's taken, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's taken its toll on him in a big way. Yikes. Yeah. Poor guy. There's that's... something about that uh, that caffeine thing where it's like I've even noticed my skin's kind of clearing up. I mean, I still got a long way to go, but like there were some dark circles under my eyes, which is just your <laughs> adrenal gland like flaring out, you know, because there's so much caffeine. So yeah, it was. Uh, I've definitely seen some benefit. Good, so, that's good to hear. Well, David, thank you so much for, for for doing the podcast with us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, how yeah, how long does it run? How long do we do we go? Well. Uh, if you can give us about an hour, but we can cut it short. If you've got, I know you've got a, you've got other stuff going on today, so don't you know? Don't want you to feel pressured. To be, um, if we could do like maybe forty minutes, Perfect. if I could be out at like nine forty-five or nine fifty, I have an appointment. Yeah, sure, that's yeah, great. No okay, cool. Thanks, guys. No worries. No, thank you. Um, so, you've 
you've been in the UK. You were in the UK at the end of last year. Was that right? Uh, end of yeah, for like a hot minute. Yeah, yeah. For a hot minute. We were shooting some Hellboy stuff. I was up in Bristol. Oh, okay. How did you yeah. find Bristol? Did you like the accent? Did you uh, hear any yeah, You know what's funny about the UK is I was in Bristol. God, what year was it? I was in Bristol when I was 16 years old. Wow. So that's full on like 28 years ago, 27, 27 years ago or something. I was in Bristol on a homestay for a week. Oh, and I okay. stayed with a family, and they used to give me tongue sandwiches for lunch. Oh, mate, tongue sandwich. Oh. <laughs> it was so, <laughs> so gross. Holy shit. But, uh, <laughs> but now it, it seems pretty hip now. Yeah. Like, I was surprised. There's like lots of cool gastro pubs and bars and stuff. It seemed like a really kind of nice town, which I don't remember it to be that way 27 years ago. No, I, I used to play quite a lot of gigs out there of my rock, the rock band I used to be in, and... Uh, yeah, there was a lot of kind of 80s rock guys hanging around. Lots of spandex. <laughs> Honestly, like I'm I'm talking I'm not like I'm talking quite in recent like in the in the noughties, people were wearing spandex there. So <laughs> were you how was your how long was your hair back then? And mine was it I wasn't that long. It was kind of bob length, I guess. I think I was going uh, for that okay. kind of Nirvana thing, but Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think of Kurt Cobain as having a bob, but I guess yeah. <laughs> well yeah, 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 maybe. But mine I think I was attempting Kurt Cobain and ended up with like Iggy Pop. Um <laughs> Okay, that, that's still pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah. Better than like Dorothy Parker. Yeah, true. That's true. Man, spandex and tongue sandwiches. That's that's uh, what Bristol's famous. That's for. what Bristol's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, So, do you like? Have you been to the um, the UK a lot? I mean, obviously, you. you yeah, I have actually. It's sort of like so. I went when I was a kid. I went on like a bike tour. We went from Edinburgh down through like the Lake District of England, which is gorgeous. Which I feel like not enough people, at least in the United States, know about. Do you guys? Do you guys like vacation there? Is that like a big hot? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, the the Cotswolds as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 because it's gorgeous up there. So we stayed there, and then we went down to, like, Bristol, Bath, uh, and then into London. Um, and then I was there in college as well. I did, like, a theater study program there in college, and I saw, like, tons of plays. Um, I saw Ray Fiennes in Hamlet wow. at the Almeida. Uh, and then and then I was there. I did a play there. I did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf there for like oh, five months. Cool. The Apollo Theater uh, in Soho. And um, I stayed like right by the palace, right by Victoria. Is Victoria Station down there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 The, yeah. Yeah. So Buckingham Palace, you were near there, were you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then and then I was there for a film uh in two months i was in marble arch for a film directed by madonna whoa wow years back i well. didn't know she directed films uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> she, she's directed a few i don't know that it's going as well as her pop career but uh, uh but yeah she's directed a few um 
And then, yeah, and then last time I was there, and then we go, like, uh, you know, my girlfriend does some pre press for these Fantastic Beasts movies, so we were just there for the big press for that and everything, which is kind of an amazing thing to go to London with the whole Harry Potter thing, oh, and, like, man, J.K. Yeah. Rowling, yeah. all those people. So it's like, man, those, you Brits, I mean, we go crazy for it here in America, too, but you Brits, it's like, you know. It's like uh, it's like it's religion. Like George George Washington. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like it's Harry Potter and tongue sandwiches, and that's basically yeah. what we're famous <laughs> for. Spandex as well. And spandex. And spandex yeah. The occasional bike shorts. Yeah. <laughs> so New York's your home, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and you've been there. You've always been there. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've had stints like in Los Angeles for six months at a time. And then I start to break out in hives and I like <laughs> rush back to New York City. But basically like ever, uh, right out of college, I moved here and it's like, I've lived in the East Village for my whole life and it's always felt like home. And what is it about New York that, that feels so much like home? Because it's, it's, it's a crazy place. Yeah, and that's part of the reason. But I think basically like I grew up in a, um, a kind of, upper middle class like westchester suburban neighborhood yeah and then i came to new york i would come as a kid and i came to the east village and this was sort of back before i mean i think the east village is still the east village but it was back when it was really the east village when like eighth street st mark's was just punks like you know punks with like huge mohawks <laughs> and and like CBGB's was here and Coney Island and these crazy like music venues and little theaters and and just a bunch of freaks like, uh, you know, I had friends who worked at the Carney show out in Coney Island, like a guy named Eek who was in the freak show and like had tattoos over his all over his face. <laughs> and like just all these like freaks that I fell in love with and this sort of way of living that felt very much like. You know, if you're some kind of outcast or if the world doesn't understand you, like, yeah. come here. So like, have, you, we'll... you, have, you, have you felt like an outcast then? Is that, is that kind of your people? Yeah, very much. I mean, I, you know, uh, for a while it was funny because I'm, I'm a bit like an undercover uh, agent for the freak show. Because I'm, <laughs> you know, tall and I had blonde hair and I was from Westchester <laughs> and like a square jaw. And I looked like those yuppie guys that uh, you, you think, you know, and then... And but underneath, I'm just a mess, just a complete and total like <laughs> weirdo, outcast, you know, strange dude. And so, um, yeah. So I've always felt at home with people who I, I use this word, and I don't mean it sexually, uh, but it's it's the best word that I can describe it is like perversion. Like there's people that view the world perversely. Mm -hmm. Like they don't view the world straight on. They view it with their own particular story or their own particular angle that's somewhat weird and un unsocially sanctioned. And those are the people that I've always been interested in, the people that I always fall in love with, the people that are like my people. So the East Village seems to be the place where there's like so many of those people. So I love it. Because your parents were in real estate. Is that right? They were, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. So Which where's the that? where's the where's the perversion of? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's yeah. They they were uh, no. They. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I'm total black sheep. Like, I'm. I didn't feel like I fit in with that Westchester world of real estate and business people and all that stuff. And I would look around, like, you know, and and it's a funny thing because you take it on when you're a child. Like, you look around and you see all these people and you think, oh, this is what's normal. Like, yeah. why am I? 
such a freak. Like, I don't think the same things as you people. Like, I view, and even the way I view human beings is like, occasionally I'd see an interaction between two people and they'd be laughing, but I'd see such like violent hatred underneath their skin. And I would, and they'd be like, no, we're friends. And I would think, no, you hate each other. Everyone's like kind of living this weird reality that like, I don't want to live. So, um, so yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't have any, I don't bear ill will. They're all good people doing what they do. It's just that I was just very different, like had to get out of there kind of as soon as I could. Yeah. And I guess, that's interesting you talking about tapping into the kind of people's underlying emotions maybe because that's I guess that's kind of linked to acting you know it's kind of what you're doing you're, you're tapping into almost a sort of a higher plane of emotion in a way so maybe you're always destined to, to, to follow that path that's exactly right I mean I think I find that like people it's funny like there's a whole thing too about genetics now it's like whether genetic predisposition like um, creates you or whether or not it just is sort of a guide for something if it gets activated early on in your life it will manifest but if it doesn't it won't yeah. and there is something about like the predisposition to this sort of intensity and this sort of like people searching where I felt like I had to search the souls of people and often at times I'm wrong in social situations <laughs> or relevant you know what I mean? But I would say that it was at parties very annoying to have some kid read you in a certain way. But yeah. then you got up on stage and like revealed the life of a character that was underneath perhaps an external lie or something. It's very satisfying. I mean, it's very interesting to sort of do that for an audience and people applaud you. And so yeah. you're like, oh, OK, this is a great job for someone like me <laughs> yeah. but then do you feel like you're kind of constantly on a search then i guess it's one of those if you're oh, yeah. predispositioned like that you're constantly searching for the next story or the next piece of meaning whether it's through work or anything else uh yeah i think that is the like sort of glorious and uncomfortable position of the artist to a mm. certain degree is this thing where they are truly a progressive like I don't like society the way that it is. I want it to progress. So yeah. I'm constantly looking for ways to change it or ways to sort of, you know, sort of see deeper and maybe bring something out. In it. And, and uh, you know, I don't really, I, and in that way, like they talk about like being a workaholic or something, but I really am a workaholic. Like I don't, you know, but my work is very intrinsic to my soul and to like what I want to do. But I would love to act or write or, you know, express myself in these ways and try to seek some sort of greater understanding of, of the reasons why we're all here and what we're all doing to each other with like every waking moment. And I feel like my brain is doing that even uh, when I try not to. So, yeah. And I was, you spent a lot, to, your earlier career was a lot in theater. And I wondered if that's, bit more of a visceral experience because you're there with an audience and yeah. do you do you feel that more so than the tv and film work yeah i mean it's still like my first love and i and i do i'll still go back to it all the time it's very much like uh um uh, i've i've said that it's kind of like a marriage where like uh where like film and tv is kind of like dating a bunch of attractive people <laughs> or something. But theater's really like a marriage. Like, it's something where you have to show up every day. Like, we would do eight shows a week. And, for example, that Virginia Woolf show I did for over a year. Eight wow, shows a, a week. Long, I mean, long I mean that is a long mm. time. 
it's over 400 performances and it's uh you know it's like a marriage like you, you there are days when you feel like it's impossible to show up and do and there are days when it's just ecstatically joyous and so in those ways you learn like a relationship to a piece of art that is much deeper than film or tv in a certain way and you re rely on your partners a lot more and and uh there is that live audience thing and also in general plays can allow you a little more complicated uh, although tv is getting really good mm -hmm. but like it can allow you a little more of a deeper uh, story, or at least a little more complicated characters. Because you need that sometimes, don't you? You need you need that connection to the work, you know, the words to really, and like, I guess, give a better performance. Maybe is is, is that fair? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it needs to be something that uh, that interests you, and something that you find, and especially something like a play, like. If you're gonna do 400 performances, like you better find that thing interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I heard. I mean, you must know as a musician too. It's like I heard Paul Simon say something like, um, uh, "If I if I gotta play like feeling groovy one more time, like I think I'm." <laughs> and it's a little bit like that. Like you at least want the play to have some complexity where you can continue to like dig into it each time afresh, as opposed to having to play that hit tune that everybody loves over and over again. And do you find that with a with a long stretched, like you know, like you said, you did four hundred performances? Is it easy to keep challenging the like, the audience and the role and all the combination? Of uh, yeah, it's not easy, but it's uh, but there are some times that it's easier than others. But it's you know, it's like work. I mean, I think that's the other funny thing that like I hear people like the funniest thing I get over uh, Twitter, Instagram is like all these kids who are so fired up about Stranger Things, and they're like, I want to be an actor. Like, how do I get on Stranger Things? I mean, I'm like, oh, man. Like, if, <laughs> if you, oh, first of all, like, that's a ridiculous thing. But if, if you only knew, like, the amount of actual work, like, to watch Stranger Things is a lovely thing. Like, you yeah. sit there, and it's, like, lovely. But the actual amount of work that goes into it, and especially in something like a play, like, you know, there are times when it's on rails and it's just like beautiful and it's wonderful. But then there are times when you have to show up and you have to iron things out or things aren't working or it's like anything when you see somebody do it and it's great. And you're like, oh, I wish I could do that. But I've heard like musicians too say like, you know, it takes a lot of practice. Like it's a lot of boring guitar lessons before you can just like play something. Great, yeah, sure. You know? Yeah. I think that's what you know, same thing with a play. It's like a, there's a lot of boring, difficult, hard work. Hmm. Um, but the payoff to me is just always, you know. Well, I guess so people greater. people are human as well. They have good days and bad days yeah. as well, don't they? Yeah, so, you know. exactly. Exactly. And, and that in, it, in itself is its own kind of alchemy because it's like uh, it's like cooking. Like, you know, like on some days you'll bake bread. and it, it, Not that I've ever baked bread. I've heard this <laughs> described to me. I've heard this described to me from... Uh, from angry caffeine adult uh, bakers, but uh, <laughs> they sometimes you'll bake bread, and because of the moisture in the air, it'll only require a certain amount of yeast or or a certain amount of time in the oven. Whereas, like because of other days, if it's drier, it requires a different time in the oven. Mm -hmm. Things like that. So there are all kinds of. You want the performance to be the same, like you want to have the same rush, amazing thing that you did. But because of whatever emotionally is going on with you that day, or what I mean, your life goes on for a year, right? Like things actually happen in your life, so you have to sort of modulate like some kind of chef and sort of say like okay today i'm a little bit drier in this area or i'm a little bit more you know this and, and add different ingredients and stuff like that but it's really 
you know, it's kind of a fascinating process that you have this instrument and yet your life continues to go on and you're you kind of expected to do this thing over and over again. It's a, it's a bit of a Groundhog Day uh, conundrum, like how to how to deal with that each each day. I love that analogy of the bread. That's excellent. I'll never look at bread the same way. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, you you've spoken before about your your challenges when you were younger. You know, being diagnosed as bipolar when you're in your in your twenties. Did that affect your work or did work become a, a welcome distraction from f- from your life um i think both i mean i think that first of all the interesting thing about my particular uh brand of it is that i never have an episode when i'm working yeah uh so in some way like i've generally understood a link between my own creative energies when they're channeled in some kind of work form and then when they're not channeled that it sort of goes off into some kind of form of madness um and so you know in that way it made working almost more vital to me it was kind of a lifeline and that's the thing where i feel like there are these things in society that we very much tout like medications and things like that and i think those things are all good but there's also these intangibles like the things that actually keep us alive which are to me like talk therapy is really important and then also like acting is really important like it's important for me to be an artist and if i wasn't an artist i think i'd be a lot worse off so in that way it made it made work you know uh more vital if than ever like to keep working and so that was if anything that's a good thing yeah because it work gives you a purpose doesn't it i mean giles and i are creative people as well and you need that purpose to drive you forward and make you feel like you are making a difference and, and putting the things out there that are changing the world yeah exactly and then even beyond that it's just this idea that like you know if you have all this gas in the car and you're not like driving the car the gas tends to start to like get funky and like messed up. Like I need to like drive the car. Like otherwise the car starts to break down. Or like I drive the car is not good. The bread metaphor. (laughs) But like maybe like flush the toilet. Because like you don't flush it like that water gets really you ever not flush a toilet for like a week? The water gets Goes really bad, doesn't it? Right, just by yeah, yeah. sitting around, and that's like when and I if, don't work, I'm like a, I'm like a dirty toilet. <laughs> I guess if you that's keep, like, and if you keep defecating in it, then it, you know that's, that's <laughs> it's going to start piling up. I don't know if that helps or hinders. I've never done that before. I have to defer to you on that one, <laughs> Jim. I'm staying out of this. <laughs> But it's amazing. I, I, I wanted to talk about, obviously, Stranger Things is such a huge thing. I wondered, was being in such a sort of huge hit, like uh, a big adjustment for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was huge. <laughs> it was huge. Yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, I mean, you know, I've done so much work over the years, and, and it always is sort of this thing where it's like it comes out and people like it, but it's like whatever, and, you know, people move on. And this was something where it just came out and it was like a zeitgeist. I mean, I'd never I'd never experienced anything like it. And it changed my life, um, <clears throat> you know, mostly for the good, but also for this way of like, you know, like I, I've never been that type of guy who walk around the city and it's like, you know, every five minutes if i'm not in some form of disguise it's like Mm. people just want selfies all the time and the weirdest thing about it to be honest is that 
you know, I'm a 43-year-old guy, and I never thought that my demographic would be like 13-year-old girls. <laughs> like, like the weirdest thing to have a gaggle of 13-year-old girls. Like, oh, it's like, come on. I'm like an old man. Like, this is so weird. Um, I thought I'd be like in old kind of art films or something that like people at the Angelica, like older couples would appreciate me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's so silly. Um, so in that way, uh, you know, a lot on the surface has changed. And then underneath it all, there have been a couple big changes, like the the confidence that I have now has changed, too, in terms of telling stories. I mean, it's that sort of validation. It shouldn't have to be that it's externally validated in that way, but it does make a difference, um, uh, you know, for good and bad. Now I'm sometimes overconfident in things that I shouldn't be. <laughs> but, um, but uh, I, yeah, that, that confidence is, is ultimately a good thing. And, and it's also forced me to um, uh, sort of dig deeper into my life you know, I'm, I have a little more time and a little more money mm. to also be able to dig deeper into therapy and into these ways of self-expansion that I've kind of always wanted and never really had time because I've always been sort of stuck in this thing where I'm rushing and working for the next thing. So now it's sort of afforded me an opportunity to be much more expansive. And that's like incredibly, I'm incredibly grateful for that. And what, how were you with dealing with the, you know, the, the bigger exposure, being more famous, the pressures that come with that? Did you find that easy to adjust to, or was that a, a shock? I mean, at first, it was really great. Like, I was super, um, you know, gratified, because I had, I had been, you know, working for so long and not been recognized for, I mean, been recognized in little circles, but, like, finally, it was, like, this huge recognition of, like, oh, my God, he's so good, and I've been here for so long. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I've been here, I've been doing the same thing for like 20 years, but everybody's like, welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, in that way, it was very gratifying. And then, uh, and then, you know, it becomes a little complicated because I do like, I, I have liked the idea that I could sort of wander around the city and get into any interaction that I want. And that can't really happen anymore because, you know, like I was at a, um, I was at a restaurant so at a table and there were these like three big fat business guys just like chomping on the food just yelling at each other just awful 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 and i was you know i'm sitting there and i'm the east village kid who like already can't stand these guys but also <laughs> it's like also is like come on like take it down you're in a public place like stop with your yelling and stuff so i i turned to go over and i was like excuse me excuse me and they all three we're like, oh my God, we love, you're the best! I, love that. I, was like, I can't yell at these. Guys. It's harder to yell at people on the street like I used to love to do. So that's, that's a compromise. The downside of fame. Yeah, you can't go around yelling at people. Do you think as well? Because you're so good in Stranger Things. Do you oh, think thanks. that it was the right time, right time, right place for you in, in this stage in your career to take this role? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I do feel like, you know, uh, you a bit of you get what you deserve and not what you desire. Like, uh, I desired a certain thing for a long time in my 20s and 30s, and I really wasn't ready for it until I hit my 40s. And I wasn't ready even to do the type of work that I was doing on Stranger Things. Like, you know, I think you, 
I was worried about my image a lot more and I was worried about how people viewed me and I was I was I had a certain self-consciousness or a certain narcissism and then like as I dug into Hopper I was able to really get back to the roots of like what I wanted to do as an actor which yeah. was like to really reveal you know broken people who are a bit of a mess and who need love you know more than anyone so in that way, I was able to tap into these things about myself that are really ugly, you know, <laughs> they, not just my, you know, whatever my love handles, but like really ugly traits in me that are my anger or my uh, my arrogance or my, you know, my intolerance, like these things and really go there and not try to sugarcoat it or not try to say to you, you know, these are things that I connect with uh, Hopper on. And I've. I, I love the ability to really explore those things. I uh, and and so it was it was that time where it was sort of like the role, and it was where I was ready for, and it all kind of came together. And it was like, all right, and and I mean, the great thing is that the world responded because I don't know that that's always the case that people respond in that way, but it was amazing that it lined up that way because I was ready, the role was ready, the writers were ready, all my stars were ready. And then it was this beautiful piece of work that I knew was beautiful. But then when we put it out there, too, like everyone else knew it was beautiful. Yeah, and I wanted, yeah sorry, yeah. I was just going to say, does, do you get that feeling before a project that you know? Like you, you've, read, you've read the script, you, you think, I, I know I've got something special here. Yeah, I've had it a couple times, and mostly they've been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was. There was one project, because I have a small role this in... This wasn't uh, the Madonna movie, was it? <laughs> no, but movie, I did not have that feeling. Well, but I did have the feeling of being so excited to work with Madonna, I can't even tell you. Like, that was the feeling of that. But the, um, there was... A, I have a small part in Brokeback Mountain, that Ang Lee movie with the yeah, yeah. Jake Paul about... Um, and I remember reading the script of that and going up to shoot that, and I remember at the time when we were making it, all these talk show hosts were making jokes about gay cowboys. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, just like that it was going to be kind of a stupid, kitschy movie. And I remember reading that script and feeling like this is going to be a really profound movie. And then when it came out, it was a beautiful, stunning movie. And I think, so that was one. And then there have been others in my career where we were all kind of patting each other on the back and talking about like, <laughs> oh, we're doing something very <laughs> special here. And then it just like lands like a thud, you know? <laughs> so in general, I don't, I've, I've mistrusted myself so much. I mean, I had that feeling on Stranger Things. Like, I thought it was a beautiful pilot and I was like really excited. But I've learned enough to know that that doesn't always equal, like my taste is not always yeah. successful. So I was, I was well prepared for it to be a total flop. And I have to tell you, like, before it came out, there were no ads in New York. There was no, like, you know, no buses or phone booths or whatever. Like, nobody, I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? And my friend, who was on a very popular TV show at the time, said to me, like, a week before it came out, he was like, oh, they're burying it, dude. They're burying it. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, they just don't believe in it. They're burying it. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> My big shot on Netflix. <laughs> We've done such an awful job. And, and that wasn't the case. And then I, I love the thing. The Netflix marketing team says that they didn't advertise it so that people could have ownership of the show and pass it around to all their friends and not feel like it was hyped enough. And I was like, that is the best justification yeah. for not marketing a show I've ever heard <laughs> yeah, of. Yeah, for not amazing. spending money. 
like I didn't act in this show because I wanted to feel like you were acting. Yeah. It's like that doesn't really work for our profession. But I want yeah. you to have ownership of my performance. I think we're going to try and do that with this podcast. Yeah, we want the, view, the listeners to have ownership of our of our questions. Exactly. Um, going back to the thing about the ti- the timing, though, because obviously th- this pod is about sort of blank moments, and um, a lot of people can have blank moments that last a lifetime because they're wanting something or they're reaching for something that's not happening, and then and then it happens. So I guess as you were talking, I was sort of thinking, well, there's a lesson here in waiting for your chance, working hard still and trying, but waiting for your time and, and not beating yourself up about things that aren't happening because it, it might happen at a different time for you. I do. And I also do believe that um, we we do become what we think or we do. And, and it may not be on your timeline, but it's like, you know, you have certain things built up in you. And then if you want to change them or you want to grow, you want to develop, it's like you have a you have like a, a yellow wall, but you start painting it blue and at first it's going to be green. And then eventually after you paint it enough, it's going to be blue. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a waiting game. But I think the, the amount of effort and time and study and uh, that you put in is equal to the rewards that you get. I do believe that there's a cause and effect thing. Like if you want, and that is sort of, I believe that kind of spiritually, I believe it like career wise, I believe it in these ways. Some people have, of course, it's not an equal playing field and people have other things to overcome that are much harder. But I do believe that the effort you put in does hold reward and there is cause and effect, just like going to the gym or something. So if it's not happening for you or if you feel and you still want it, like just continue to put in the time and the effort and it will pay dividends. I, I firmly believe that is a universal law. It's hard though, isn't it? It can be really hard when it when you're having particularly hard days or you know down moments and you're feeling really bad about yourself. That can be really tough. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question, especially in a creative field because it it's it is so erratic, and especially the business part of it is so erratic. Um, and you know, that's part of the thing. Like I I had to wait a long time to have a moment like this, but it I enjoyed the entire ride too. It's like there were times when I was doing you know just off-broadway plays or like even little regional plays with with people and and i and i loved every minute of it because i just love acting so the fact that i can do it on a grand scale and affect tons of people is terrific but it's not the reason why i do it like even if i couldn't do that i'd still be doing community theater productions if i had to be a dentist in westchester you know getting an apartment lease from my parents yeah i mean (laughs) they real estate brokered me into a Um, and just on blank moments, uh, and obviously you've had an, an, an established career, you must have had many moments on stage and on screen where things aren't happening. You've forgotten lines or something like that. You know, do, How do you deal with those moments? Are you the sort of person that plows through or do, do you overthink it or you know, what's your kind of process? That's a good question. I mean, I think I do plow through more. And I've learned, I think the older I get, the more I kind of appreciate and love those things. I heard Jeff Bridges once talk about in acting, like when something goes wrong, like when you'll be in a scene and you knock over the glass, uh, if the director doesn't yell cut, he called them these Zen gifts from God or something. And they really can be like a gift. Uh, if you view them that way because we're so often wrapped up in our idea of something that when something confronts us with you know it goes in the face of your plan uh, it, it, it can enliven you in yeah. a certain way artistically that's so gratifying that you couldn't do if you planned it so 
I tend to think those things are, are gifts more and more, and I get more comfortable in living with those things. Um, you know, there are, there is, of course, the funniest thing about Virginia Woolf, to be honest, was that I, I was, uh, <clears throat> I did the play for a year, and about like eight months in, I remember like, I, I was great with my lines, and then about eight months in, I would get ready to come on stage, and like, I would be completely blank. Like, I'd done the play for eight months, and I'd be standing backstage, ready to go on, at the door, and I'd be like, somebody get me a script. I don't know any of my lines. I don't know any of my lines. And then the door would open, and I would just come out of me. But I remember that being a weird thing of, like, this experience. It's almost like driving a car. It's like, if you start to become conscious that you're driving a car at 60 miles an hour, (laughs) and all these other speeding cars are, it just becomes like, what are we doing? Like, I'm going to die immediately. But if you just sort of do it, your body knows how to do it. Um, So that's a funny thing. And do you you feel that the next time, like, so obviously that happens one night, but when you're going on the next night, are you, does that, is it recall? Are you still, does that moment come back? Yeah, I mean, I would have like weeks of it where right, it would happen okay. where I'd go and I'd go home and I'd like look at the script and blah, and then I'd go back the next night and the same thing would happen. Oh. Part of it is that the surreal nature of like doing eight shows a week with the same dialogue and yeah. the same blocking is that you're on stage saying a line and then you'll go like, did I just say that or was that the matinee earlier today? <laughs> oh, like man, where? Man, so there's this, there's this weird thing that your mind starts to play tricks on you. Um but uh, but yeah, it would it would go through. I mean, there'd be things in that play, things also like just moments that would work really well, and then you'd go through like a month where like it wouldn't work at all, and you'd be like, I don't think I'm changing anything. But just suddenly, like the energy of what you're doing is changing, and you have to kind of get a get a handle on that. Yeah. Does that come back to that persistence then? That just, I guess, there's a level of self belief there where you think, okay, I can't get it now, but I I can do it, and I've done it before, so I just got to plow on like we said before and, you, and it will and it will happen that that kind of self-belief to be persistent and you know what's funny is like i i understand that in theater i understand that in film even but like i so i'm writing this book and i remember sitting down and like i you know i wrote a sample i got this publisher and stuff and then i i i kept saying to people because for years i've wanted to write a book and i would say to people like how do you write a book like i have all these ideas is like how do you, you write find out can you tell me <laughs> i know well, I, well, no, the best the best thing i heard was you just sit down and you write it <laughs> that's that's really the answer is like this idea that you you actually have to you could have all these ideas about doing something you can have all these thoughts all these plans and then you actually have to sit down and just do it and that to me is the fill in the blank space is like yeah okay so this thing happens just do it just actually do it and I think that's the hardest thing to really understand in a weird way. Is like, and for me, the whole thing about the book is I'm theories. All this, and it's like, oh no, I just actually have to sit down on my computer, put words, I put out letters together, they form words, and then those words make sentences, and then like a book comes out of it. But that seems so incomprehensible when it seems like such a big deal. Yeah. But How it, are you finding the writing? Is it has it been cathartic? Yes, amazingly so. Yeah, it's a whole new form for me, but it's one that I've admired and loved throughout the years. So, I mean, I have greater respect for, I think, authors than I do for any any other profession. I mean, I just, like, love books. So it's been really cathartic and really interesting to get into rhythms because I used to feel like I had to be inspired when I wrote. Like, mm-hmm. I used to feel like I have to feel it and then I'm going to write it. 
And now I just actually go to my computer at a certain time, and I just sit down and I write. And it, you know, it's not always great, but it, but at least I'm not chasing inspiration. Yeah. I'm actually, it's actually like a discipline. It's actually a thing that, like working out or whatever, I just show up to do. And I guess, I guess, with the book, you're having to be quite honest as well. Is that, yeah. is that, is that helpful? You know, is that a good <laughs> process for you? It's helpful for me. I don't know that the finished product has <laughs> <laughs> the first draft. But yeah, it's uh, it's truly like liberating, even to be honest with yourself uh, further about things that you didn't know you felt or things that, and that to me is the most interesting is I'll, I'll be writing and, and the best stuff that I write is the stuff where you'll be writing and you'll think you have this to say about it and you start saying it. And then you, and then I'll realize as I go in, I'm like, Oh, actually, this is underneath it, and actually, this is what I really feel, and that that actually turns it on its head, and the, and so the, you know, it feels almost like an acting process in that way, where I discover the book. When I discover it, I feel like that's when it's the best for me. Yeah, and it's it's good to learn stuff about yourself. I mean, you know, we no matter how old we are, we all keep learning about the world, and and sometimes focusing on yourself and writing about yourself helps you learn about how you are as a person, and that can be the most invaluable thing of all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool. Okay, so uh, we normally round off the podcast, David, by asking our guests to uh, give up their advice to any of our listeners uh, who might be having black moments. Uh, and that's a very, very interpretive term. Um, Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, <laughs> yeah. Give me a little more like <laughs> advice. Uh, how? Like you mean when they're when they're stuck? Yeah, I guess so. Because everyone can. I mean, we initially thought it might be creative people listen to this podcast who have blank moments. But I get it's actually you know various people from all walks of life, and, and people can have blank moments no matter what they do. Um, I guess how would your experiences of that? Uh, help i guess give advice to to our listeners who might be struggling i mean again i think that like summing up i think the tenacity thing is huge and i think that um i i also really firmly believe in this cause and effect idea that if you are having a blank moment or whatever that if you take an action and if that an action action is whatever it is if it's intended to be something that you want to become further or that you want to be further, that simply the taking of that action will produce a result. It may not be that day. It may not be a week from then, but it will over the, over your lifetime continue to, to move you toward that path. And the other thing is, I think that so much of when I don't do something is based on my own resistance as opposed to based on the hard thing to do. And I think that there's a, an interesting moment of resistance that happens in all of us that can manifest in terms of like other things we don't know, other things we need to do, or this, this word that I hear is like, I don't know, or I'm confused. People yeah. say that a lot. And when they say that, when I say it, it's, it's many times it's just resistance. It's just, res I do know, or, I, and, I, and I just won't. 
And so if you don't want to do it, or if you say you don't know, just actually maybe start saying, I won't. Mm -hmm. And it might prompt you to get over that resistance in a certain way. Good stuff. Thank you very much. That's good advice. Yes, great. Well, David, thank you so much for giving us your time. Yeah, we really massively appreciate it. And it's just a real privilege to talk to you. Yeah, you guys as well. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And uh, nice be- best, you. best of luck with the book as well. Yeah, when's that going to come out, do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm, the manuscripts do like in December, so it'll probably come out next year sometime. Cool. Maybe Fantastic. In the summer. Thanks, man. Thanks, David. Right, Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take There you go what a man lovely lovely man and you know just again just so nice of him to give up some time it was quite early his end so he was yeah. like 9 a.m and we were sort of in the middle of the afternoon so yeah david's in new york so yeah so there was a bit of a time difference but he, he know, had it, he had his chai tea he had his chai so tea he was ready he for was ready. us and you know actually he was quite bright eyed i'm not i'm not normally that I, i'd struggle at that time yeah morning, no he so. was he was great for us and um really interesting to hear about him the other creative stuff he's doing with his book obviously he's got some big movies coming out um yeah. and his love of theater and all those all those things that kind of make up what he, who he is and yeah and well being very honest about who he about who he is yeah and and dealing with you know the the behemoth that was stranger things yeah and how big it and how it changed his life yeah and what a, what a massive adjustment that must have been you know i don't know how i would have coped he seems to have, you know coped with it pretty yeah. pretty well and yeah. i think you know some people might not have had that been able to do that yeah. like like he has and I just yeah it was really great to talk about all those things and yeah I thought just thought he was a fascinating guest and again just really nice to be able to sit down and chat with him for 40 minutes absolutely what a top man so thank you David for your time yeah. we really appreciate it as we do all our guests we can't believe they're giving us their time and chatting to us but we, mm. we really appreciate it I mean like I say I've said it at the beginning of the pod as well but you know it, it, it's really surreal coming yeah, we, we we do this once a week normally recording and actually just coming, sitting down and chatting to people we admire, heroes of ours. Um, and yeah, it's just a really, really special hour of my week every yeah. week. So, you know, so thank you for listening. Um, I'm glad that you can be on board with it. Yeah, and we get a lot of nice comments from our listeners as well, which we, we do, really yeah. appreciate. We read, we read every tweet we get and we do appreciate anyone sends us any comments about the pod and if you want to do that you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at blank pod yeah that is right (laughs) (laughs) throw it off Um, or if you want to email us we'd love to get an email from you Uh, our email address is hello at theblankpodcast.com it is indeed Uh, and please do us a favour rate us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast from so they drop straight into your podcast app folder and you haven't got to do a thing and every Wednesday morning there's a little nugget of blank it <laughs> doesn't that. sound that appealing but... sorry i ruined it no no it's good no i think you should keep that um i think no that doesn't sound appealing but hopefully it is appealing to some of you because you keep coming back to listen so exactly and we do really appreciate it so thank yeah. you very much uh next week we've got another guest for you on the blank podcast they keep coming don't they they do they keep they do. coming they keep coming so keep an eye out for that but in the meantime have a wonderful week and we'll see you again soon on the blank pod
This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.